At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with fashion photographer David Victory. David is based in the US, in Los Angeles, and he takes beautiful photographs of people, fashion, and more. We talk about his beginnings as a fashion photographer, the advice he would give to people who are interested in pursuing this as a career, and much more. Please enjoy. We have an amazing community at photographycourse.net where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, join photography contests, and much more. In our community, you'll also find a 52-week project that will provide you with weekly educational videos and challenges to help you improve your skills on a regular basis. This is an amazing opportunity for you to not only enhance your skills, but also grow your network and have a wholesome experience as a photographer. We're so inspired by the amazing photographs that our members post every day. When you join our community, you'll be able to make new friends and share your progress with a passionate group of people. None of this would be possible without our members' support, so we're very grateful. In order to keep things running, we're offering exclusive membership plans that will give you access to every part of our community and our premium courses. Use the discount code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD to get 50% off your first year as a member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join and use the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD without any spaces to claim your discount. Hi, David. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hello, Taya. How are you? I'm David Victory, a fashion photographer here in Los Angeles. I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm very happy to be with you. You specialize in fashion photography. You have a very interesting portfolio filled with photos of models on helicopters and in very interesting locations. So I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of very interesting things to talk about that the listeners will probably be very inspired by. Absolutely. Yeah. Be, be really glad and joyful to share all this and, you know, make meaning out of it. 
Absolutely. So let's dive into the technical side of things first. I'm sure a lot of listeners are curious about the kind of camera gear you use. So what is your equipment? Well, you know, uh, a funny story is that somebody once said, hey, if I had David Victory's camera, I would be taking the same pictures. And I heard that through, uh, you know, a friend. And I jokingly said, uh, well, you know, sure, you know, and if I had uh, Johnny Cash's microphone, I would be singing like him. <laughs> which is not the case, you know. Equipment is just comes and goes, and it changes all the time. Look at the equipment I was using, you know, when I had my first camera, it was a plastic lens Diana camera. It's a Chinese-made camera, retro, uh, still being made, and you can, you know, find it in some shops, this Diana brand. And my dad gave me this camera, and that was my first. And when I looked at it, and I would open it up, and I remember... It's like a movie in my head, you know, it's so, made such a strong impression on me. I'm sitting there on the stairs at my house, I'm like six years old, and I had the back of this thing open and it had a red circle where I could, you know, could count the film as you put the film roll in there. And I'm clicking the shutter and this metal blade goes up and down with a little spring. And I'm thinking, how does that make a picture? This metal blade goes up and down, I hear a click. That makes a picture. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't put two and two together. I didn't know how the technology works. But, you know, go forward in time, and I'm eight years old, and I'm in a dark room, and I'm printing black and white. And when that first black and white in the Dectal soup, in that tray, as I'm shaking it, started, you know, appearing under the red light, this thing magically came to life, and that picture is developing. I'm just, you know, struck by that. And that's a magical moment. That was the moment that changed my life. That set my career course. And I became a photographer because of that moment when I was in the dark room and I saw that picture develop. And I said, this is magic. And remember, this is back in the 60s. And there was no technology. Transistor radio and color television was a technology. That was it. We didn't even have meaningful uh, calculators. They, they came into being in the 70s. So, you know, since then, I've used all kinds of equipment, cartridge cameras and point-and-shoot cameras uh, and uh, Nikon F3 and even Canon EF, you know, all mechanical type of cameras. The Hasselblad, I used a lot. And uh, 4 by 5 equipment, you know, for shooting architectural. But all of that is passé. I sold my Hasselblad 500C, bought a little dog, and I enjoyed her uh, tremendously for 13 years. <laughs> uh, so I remember that fondly. This is back in the 90s. And so the equipment, you know, comes and goes. Man, this is what I say. Um, today, uh, like many photographers, you know, I look back and I think, gee, you know, everybody's a photographer now. Uh, they claim to be, and everybody's got a camera in their back pocket, the iPhones and the Androids. And they're wonderful. You know, there's a place to use them. And for a long time, I was worried about this, you know, taking over the business and ruining my job. I have a client, uh, they approach me and they say, David, we want you to shoot for social media, but we don't want you to use a DSLR because we wanted to have that intimate feel of social. Uh, so shoot everything, shoot all these models for us with an iPhone. And I said, okay, that's interesting. So I went out there and, you know, got an Android and started shooting. And I think I've, you know, so far I've made over 100,000 clicks for them. 
And that's a genre of photography now, you know, shooting for social media. And you can't do selfies, you know, with a DSLR and it's cumbersome. And there are some angles, best shots, and there are some looks that you can get with an iPhone. So the equipment keeps expanding the base of equipment we have. And the equipment, you know, is multi-purpose. Uh, every camera now shoots stills and, you know, they all shoot video and the video was HD and now it's 4K and my Android camera shoots 8K, which is just, uh, it's a blast to have that 8K tile. I hope somebody listening to this podcast in 10 years doesn't think that, oh, it's old and passe because we're talking about this equipment and, you know, now they have 16K 10 years from now. I'm sure we will have 16K. But the deal is, the, the equipment is really uh, is a tangent. Never worry about the equipment. I always say the best camera for the job is the one that's around your neck now, and it's the camera that you own. So a good photographer can shoot with uh, a mediocre camera, and the best photographer can shoot with any camera. That's really the answer. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. I'm so intrigued by what you said about the film that you developed for the first time, or you, the first photograph that you were able to create on your own. You said it was a black and white picture. What was the subject of that photograph? You know, it was a shot that we, this was in summer camp. I'm like eight years old. And this is a shot we took in the schoolyard. So it was some scenery about the the school. It's, It's the very place that I've been playing around. It was summer camp. So we had taken the picture the teacher had developed a film because I didn't learn developing a film until later when I was like 18 years old. But printing the photo, you know, putting it in the enlarger and focusing it and exposing the paper and then developing the paper, that's the magic. And I and I really hope that a lot of our digital photographers now, you know, the, the ones that are newcomers to the scene, uh, do try that. It's a really interesting experience developing black and white. I think it's definitely an interesting experience because you have to slow down as opposed to when you're taking digital photos, it's endless. And that's also a good thing, of course, but slowing down and understanding the process of film photography can be very rewarding in my opinion. To be honest, I've never tried it, but I really look forward to. I can imagine that it's very exciting. Absolutely, we should, you know, there should be workshops. It's like riding in a horse and carriage you know, it's a means of transportation that preceded the car. But look at the difference. It's like the difference between a Timex and a Rolex. A Timex is even more accurate time than a, a digital Timex, than an analog Rolex. But look how a Rolex is built and, you know, it's all analog and gears and everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge difference between the two styles, the analog world and the digital world. And, and you know, I remember fondly, when I first looked through the viewfinder of a um, Canon A1, I was the first digital reflex that I looked through. Uh, and for the longest time, I was using rangefinder cameras and such because I didn't have the money to buy. And then finally, a friend of mine you know, had this camera and I looked through it and it gave me mental orgasm. The ability to look through the lens, actually see what the lens is saying optically. And that's something that's going away. You know, now we're in the transition to mirrorless. So we lost that part of the analog world too, where you could be intimate and you could actually see through the lens itself, just look through the glass. Uh, And that ability 
is going. Uh, so we're in a transition and uh, things, you know, have, have been changing a lot and they're speeding to do so. And, you know, now we have computational photography. So there's new eras just opening up. I always say jokingly that if I were a carpenter, I would still be using nails and hammers and saw and wood since the days of Jesus, the same technique, the same equipment. But look, just in the past 40 years, how much my business and all the photographers' business has changed. We're in a never-ending cycle of school. Uh, the schooling and the learning for our business just never ends. You constantly have to keep it up and look at the software side, You know how much you need to know with computers. Uh, I never signed up for this. I remember when I was like back in the 70s, I would ask myself and I would listen to people talk about computers because, you know, we had mainframes back then. And I would say, what is a computer? You know, what does the computer do and what do you what do you use it for? And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't put two and two together until years you know, later. And now uh, computers are an integral part of the cameras and cameras and computers are one and look at the iPhones and, you know, it's a computer and studio camera and everything rolled into one piece. And this is, is uh, you know, exciting, but it's also a big stress because you're never in one place. You can never say, okay, I've, I've arrived, I've achieved, I've done, I'm there. And you constantly have to learn and then this is the next technology this is the next platform this is the next thing to do and then lead this will lead eventually into the business of photography and how to stay in the business of photography to even be able to afford all this equipment which is something that i'm really keen on to me that is the most important is not what you own but how how you get to own it because you got to be a successful businessman in the world of photography to even be able to have a say and you know capture a part of the market regardless of the equipment that's that's my short and long answer you know when it comes we can talk about equipment at nauseum there are great platforms out there you know for photographers to learn and so what i'm saying is fundamental it really doesn't help much to the fellow photographers or whoever's listening to this podcast for me to talk about a certain piece of equipment because in five, 10 years, it's all a mute point, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I appreciate everything that you shared though. And I found your observation about carpenters versus photographers very interesting and very true. Makes a lot of sense. And as you said, there are companies that ask you to take photographs for them using smartphone cameras now. So what is that like for you? Do you have any tips for people who want to improve their smartphone photography skills? And, you know, it's an awful thing because, you know, you, I have to be dumbed down. I shot over 600 models for them for the social media campaign that they're doing just because they just needed, you know, oodles and tons of pictures. So... It's really against the grain of me as a commercially trained, classically trained photographer from the analog era of film. And, you know, I've shot 35 millimeter too. I've, I've you know, operated cameras for Hollywood as a cameraman. And that methodology is, is something that is like blasting off an Apollo mission. 
where everything needs to be calculated and you know you have to think it through to do it and now all you do is just click this white circle and there's a photo which dumbs it down and it's completely against my brain and because I shoot manual everything. My camera's never been on automatic. I always say the only day I will put that camera on auto is when there's a UFO in the sky because then, you know, I got to, I got to catch it now. Uh, I've never put my camera on automatic. There's never been a reason for me to shoot an automatic. And now it's almost impossible to shoot in manual mode with my Android because every little bit of movement or every change requires me to fiddle with it, you know, with these menus on the screen. And then uh, I just lose time because uh, I could never shoot that fast with any uh, DSLR or mirrorless that I shoot with the Android. And so that's one of the things, you know, you got to train yourself to dumb yourself down and say, this is just for fun and practice and what you're shooting really doesn't matter. Just shoot <laughs> because I only have 20 minutes and I got to get, you know, several hundred shots and then go back to Lightroom and pick through those and find the best one. And I still, you know, try to get some juice out of the files, although they are tiny. If I shoot in high quality mode, it's 30 megabytes. Otherwise, they're like only three megs each. A three megabyte file, you know, how much information is there to pass through Lightroom, you know, to make any adjustment? Not much. But uh, that's part of the process. And one of the looks that these social media campaigns want is the look that, hey, I'm shooting a selfie, so this is real, which means that this is a like a consumer-generated content. So I'm I'm shooting myself where I would actually put the camera at, at the angle that I wanted. I would ask the model to reach out and pretend they're touching the camera, and I would be shooting it with the uh, rear lens, which is a higher quality picture. So I would trick the selfie by shooting the higher quality picture. Uh, so I would have a better image, and then the model's pretending that I'm shooting a selfie. So that's one of the things you know I would do for this campaign, and then. Of course, because everything's so fast, in one day here in Bel Air, uh, in a mansion I rented on the golf course uh, on Chalon Road, I shot 31 models mm -hmm. in one day. And it's a three-story mansion with four levels of grounds, so many steps. So for 10 hours, I was going up and down these stairs, outside, inside, everywhere, without lighting, and the camera HDR mode was handling everything beautifully, which is something I could have never done with any other camera. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said with a point-and-shoot camera that's in HDR, and it's doing the white balancing, and it's doing the focusing, and it's just taking care of everything for you, and all you have to worry about is just composition and directing the model. Uh, so that, that kind of output and having that kind of a day where I shot, 30 models, not in one place, but running all over the place and getting, you know, milking the location to the max, just shooting every corner. So it looks like I'm here in my house. No, I'm here in my yard. And this other model is in their office. 
but they're all shot in the same day in the same location by the same photographer using the same Android. That is so interesting. And it was definitely sounds very different to what you're usually used to doing. As you said, you work in Hollywood. So you have a lot of experience calculating your shots and being very specific and meticulous for good reason. And with the smartphone camera, it's completely different. As you said, HDR mode is enough to take relatively good photographs indoors without extra lighting. So it's interesting. It's a it's two different worlds. And if you know how to handle both worlds, then I think you will increase your chances of being successful in the industry. It's it's one extreme. You know, it's it's one extreme when you're shooting uh, through a Panavision camera, a Panaflex, uh, and I've also shot with the Panavision Elaine 16. Which is, which is a very unique super 16 millimeter camera. Very few made, very few DPs I've ever shot with that camera. Uh, shooting with the Ariflex, the Ari BLs, and the Ariflex, you know, 2C and uh, the Ari 3. So I've shot with the cinema product, I've shot with Mitchell cameras, and the methodology and how you even thread the film through them and, you know, load the film properly and, you know, put it through the sprockets and, test everything and make sure everything's in there and there's no hair in the gate. And it's just also mechanical and manual and pull the lens out and check for lint and dirt and hair in the gate and because that could ruin the take. That never happens now. You know, we don't have such a thing. Now we have makeup smeared on the lenses and, you know, every shot I see, <laughs> everybody's got a glow filter on because people forget to clean the lens. That's one of the biggest tricks of these little cameras is on your phone. Just clean the lens first. Uh, you'll get much higher resolution pictures right away. It's like a, it's like an app. <laughs> that's the lens. Yeah, that's a good tip. And when it comes to your commercial work where you have to use bigger cameras where you don't need to use smartphone cameras, what advice would you give to people who are interested in fashion photography specifically? How can they improve their fashion shots? Well, let's talk about the fashion photography first. You know, and I will give everybody tips, but but the, the short answer is don't. Don't try to be a fashion photographer, is, is what I tell everybody. <laughs> There's this is a bus that's full. There's no room. It's the toughest nut to crack in the photography world. It's much easier to be a pet photographer and a landscape photographer and a medical photographer and a coroner's photographer for the city of LA to shoot dead bodies than to shoot fashion as a business. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. To make it a career, to make it a life of fashion photography, to have that be your forte and your main source of making money as a business, don't. It is the toughest nut to crack. You'll be surprised how difficult it is. And because I've been there, done that for the past eight years, and we'll talk about how I got into fashion photography. But my advice is that don't. Now, if you don't want to heed that advice and you just want to do it anyways, you know, obviously for fashion, you have to shoot everything manual. Manual ISO, manual shutter speed. You're using flash most of the time. I even use flash when I'm shooting daylight outdoors. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I do all the time is shoot everything manual and your aperture settings and selection of lenses, etc. Have a really good wide angle lens. Uh, you'll get a 
a lot more mileage in fashion with a good wide angle zoom than any other lens rather than a telephoto. I rarely shoot over a hundred mil when I'm shooting fashion, there's no need to. But a 50 mil millimeter is gonna be your workhorse when you're shooting e-commerce uh, in a studio. And a lot of it is e-commerce. You'll see that, especially in LA, we have a hundred block fashion district. There's a 10 block by 10 block in downtown LA that's called the fashion district. And it's full of warehouses and distribution and designers and brands and wholesalers and resellers that just bring uh, boxes and boxes of wares in and it all has to be shot. 95% of all of that is shot just against white. It's all, you know, Amazon on white, which I hate with a passion. I hope Amazon doesn't listen. <laughs> but I just, I, I hate that you have to shoot on white. Especially when I see a white t-shirt on a white background, that just, I, you know, it just makes me cringe. Mm -hmm. Why do people mentally get forced into that box of thinking this has to be shot on white, although it's white? What kind of a stupidity is that? <laughs> and, you know, I'm saying this to you and my, to my fellow photographers because I, I hear them. They're, they think the same. But, you know, how do you explain that to the customer, you know, to whoever's paying for the job? And no matter how proud I am of my portfolio, and these are, you know, some of the better shots of the many thousands of shots that are still in Lightroom, and I don't have time to process them and to properly catalog them and put keywords on them, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, it's like birthing a baby, putting them in its proper album or page. These photos were shot with limitations of the conditions set by the customers, the brands, and also the limitations of their budget and the limitations of their time. Mm -hmm. So it's like trying to be James Bond with both of your hands tied behind you. Okay. <laughs> How can you function when you're given ridiculous amounts of contradictory direction against your grain, against your art, against who you are as, as your style of photography, because you got to pay the bills. So I find myself often shooting stuff that I absolutely hate. They're abhorrent. I don't want to do it, you know, especially when it comes to shooting um, product. They call it product photography. Mm -hmm. And what is product photography? Product photography is cutting the corner and shooting a piece of clothing flatly. Mm -hmm. And if you go to my website and click on photography, there's a drop-down menu there, and click on that, you'll see what I have to say about that. Clothing without a model is body without a soul. It's just a dead piece of fabric. That's what it is. Fashion is meant to be shot on humans. You gotta see how it's worn. You can't put that on a white table and just throw it on a floor and just shoot it. What does that mean? And the clients to cut corner, to save money, they just shoot stuff like that. And the consumer, you know, then has no other reference because they never see it on a, on a human. They don't see it in action. They just see something thrown on a white background. 
and they click and they buy. Now, there is a place for e-commerce, which, which is what I'm in general talking about, e-commerce, you know, as a broad spectrum. Okay, you want to see the actual clothing item that you're buying and you want to click it so you know that's what comes to the door by UPS and nothing else. All right, so I understand that. And so Amazon is saying, just don't include anything else, don't accessorize it, and just shoot it on white so that our page looks clean and the white matches the white of the RGB of the background page. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's the last shot you should see, not the first shot. So many brands fail that I've worked with because all they do is, and the first thing they do is just shoot something from China, from Alibaba Express on a white background uh, with their phone, uh, without even color correction or nothing, and then they just throw it up on their page, on their Wix page. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they think, okay, I'm, I'm an e-commerce shop now. And some of their, you know, family and friends and whoever, you know, they're sh showing the URL to click and buy something, and then they become a dot store and nothing ever happens. But look at the big brands, look at the fashion houses. Do they ever show such a thing as an ad? No. Look at the bigger brands. They don't only show one model, they shoot two, they shoot two, three, four, five models. Mm. Look at the Ralph Lauren ads, how many models they have in there, how it's orchestrated, that one shot, how much money and thought and styling goes into that one shot. That is fashion photography. That's what we're talking about. Not throwing something on a white and saying, okay, because it's just lifeless. It just becomes a piece of fabric to me. So that's what I hate about this job. And that's what I'm saying is that, although I like what I'm putting on my website, but it's not the best that it can be. And it is not, it never is. So you as a photographer who venture into fashion, like I did, uh, will come to realize that the customer will give you a lot of headaches. Mm -hmm. A lot of headaches that you didn't sign up for, and you're forced to do it because you're forced to pay the bills. You see? Yeah, I think it's very important to be aware of this, especially for people who are new to fashion photography and who might have a very romanticized idea about the industry. Of course, if it's something you enjoy, then it's great. But when you work with clients, it's unpredictable sometimes. And as you said, it's important to pay the bills. So I can understand why it's a headache sometimes. And you said that the bus is full now when it comes to fashion photography. What was it like when you first got into it and how did you get into fashion photography in the first place? Well, what fashion, I want to distinguish between fashion photography and clothing photography. Mm -hmm. The two are kind of related. And when you even Google clothing photography, Google says that clothing photography is, is fashion photography. That's one of the answers. They're related, but they're very different. Like, like the joke says, very much the same, but totally different. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so clothing photography is the genre that is more of the e-commerce. And fashion is the genre which is more of the exclusive advertising and branding. Because shooting a piece of clothing on white has no branding value. Okay, so... The epic failure of a brand is to fail to brand. So yeah. they don't brand because they're just shooting something on white. 
there's no take home about that picture. There's nothing to remember, doesn't give any impression. There's no emotion, there's no feeling. Now, there is information, but nobody remembers the information in an ad. If I tell you any brand, you will not remember the details, the information that was in an ad, but you will have an emotional, immediate emotional response to that brand. Because you've cataloged that brand, that name in your head as something that is a one to 10. So that emotional feeling is what we're talking about when we say fashion photography. And the clothing photography is just the business of shooting clothing so that you know people can click and buy it and you sell the stuff. So there's no branding value. Nobody will remember this piece of clothing on white versus that piece of clothing on white. Doesn't matter how much more expensive or better design, et cetera, it is. But when you shoot a model in the in the Sahara with a panther, and that shot you will remember. Okay, when Louis Vuitton does a campaign with animals, that shot you remember. There's an emotional feeling, and it leaves an impression, and that that is branding now. And that's the failure of all of these new brands, these Shopify stores. And I'm a Shopify photography expert myself, so I deal with a lot of new Shopify stores, and that's a huge market. Uh, half a million Shopify stores that are fashion-related, clothing-related. And they all make that mistake. They go into business seeing others and thinking that, yeah, I should just take this. And what they what they also do, what, what a, one of the biggest fails is that they take the same Chinese factory, Alibaba, shot that came with that package you know, of clothing that they purchased that 100 other people bought from Alibaba and they have on the internet already. They use the same photos mm -hmm. and that that's one of the biggest fails and then they try to be pennies cheaper so you go to amazon and you see the same damn t-shirt or hoodie shot by the same manufacturer distributed from 10 or 100 different people trying to sell it on amazon yeah it don't stand out at all no not at all there's no branding value so branding and fashion photography are together. How I got into it is tie up fashion. What's got it has going for it is that it's cyclical and seasonal and it just repeats. Okay. So versus when I produce a video for Microsoft, I produced the marketing video for Microsoft and took, they took over the Nokia center in downtown LA, shot the whole place for them, you know, from a helicopter. And it was the handing off of Nokia to Microsoft and rebranding the entire place and putting all these screens and the largest uh, 2,500 square foot Microsoft emblem in the world on the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, and that became LA Live. So it's on my website. And these things require uh, you know, a, a lot of attention and they require a lot of thought. When when somebody you know comes to me and says, hey, you know, I wanna I wanna shoot uh, I wanna shoot something, I look at it and I and I think, do I have a downstream for this business or no? And most times I don't. That's that video from Microsoft is there to stay. There's no second video for Microsoft for me. It's not a repeat client. It's not a repeat business. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna happen again. There's no downstream with them. But with fashion, no matter how good I shoot this season, and you know I, I do a perfect job and the client loves it, 
Next season, they come back. They have to trash all those pictures because new SKUs come in and we got to shoot again. Yeah. So you see, so every season or at the maximum every year, I shoot or I get to shoot with some of those clients because some of them are cheap ass, you know, people who are always, you know, shopping around for the best price. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody cheaper, but is there always somebody better? Yeah. They fail to ask that. They just go with the cheapest. So, yeah, you can always find somebody cheaper. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's good that you have this mindset because it's important to to work with clients that value you for your style and for your approach to photography. And when you know how to communicate with different clients, then you'll just be a more confident and better photographer. Our online photography community is a place where you can grow your skills and learn something new every single day. If you want to join conversations like this one and connect with like-minded photographers from across the world, you're in the perfect place. We have a special discount code for our podcast listeners. We're offering 50% off your first year as an extraordinary or limitless member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code greatbigphotographyworld. And you said that you have worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of models, and you have a team of people working for you, like wardrobe stylists and makeup artists. All those things are obviously very important in fashion photography. What tips would you give to people who are putting together a team? What kind of people do they need to bring together in terms like in terms of personality and basically how do you make a team work as a photographer? Yeah. Well, so once you realize that, okay, fashion is cyclical, so it's something you can count on shooting all the time, you know, you got to make it work as a business to be able to even have a team. Because what is a team? My right-hand person is a stylist. The most important person on the set is the stylist, you know, after the photographer. It's like, it's like a producer and a director. Okay, so the producer is very important. But when it comes to the day of the shoot, then the director is the most important. Because the producer does all the work to get to the day of the shoot. Then they, on the day of the shoot, nobody knows what to do except the director. He comes in, he pulls out the notes and says, put the camera here. The actor, you stand here, you do this, you, you say so, and you act like that. So I may be the photographer, but without a good stylist, you know, what are we shooting? You, you bring the highest resolution camera, the, the best gorgeous lighting, the most, you know, fantastic equipment, you know, the most expensive Zeiss lens, and you point it at the white wall, and I shoot it with five different cameras, a $100 camera and a $100,000 camera. What do I have? I have a piece of white. Mm-hmm. Is there any difference? No. What are we shooting? Okay, so what are we shooting is all up to the styling and the thoughtfulness that goes into styling. So. The number one tip is work with a good stylist. Not just the set stylist, but the wardrobe stylist. So, and the wardrobe stylist's job is to match clothing. Mm-hmm. Because let's say I'm shooting tops. What am I shooting tops? You know, I can't just shoot a top on a, on a naked model and say it's standard. You're going to match it now with the rest of what we're shooting, especially if it's lifestyle, you know, if it's lookbook, if it's something shot outdoors with more action. It needs to be matched. Is there accessories? You know, are we going to have a, you know, glasses, hats, bags, gloves, this, that, and the other to make that piece of clothing that we're focusing on shine? 
Uh, and that's the job of the you know, wardrobe stylist. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. So having a team is very important. And eventually, through years of shooting, you'll get to work with and hire different hairstylists, makeup artists, and assistants that you work with. And, you know, you find the favorite ones and the ones that, you know, shine and do a better job and are more reliable and are uh, with you. By with you, I mean that they understand your style. You talk shorthand to them. You don't need to explain everything 20 times. And on the set, you know, I'm more like direct. Uh, you know, all the fluff goes away. There's no time because we're under excruciating time limits trying to perform and get everything done and make it look easy and effortless and produce so many shots. And the clients is always, they, they bring, you know, I talk to them about shooting 10 wedding gowns and then 15 show up and they say, well, let's see if we can shoot them. <laughs> so <laughs> they want to squeeze in five more. So they kind of like put you on notice. Yeah. I, I brought 15. Which one do you like better? Let's start with that. So, mm -hmm. so they're saying that, yeah, we want to now get 15 done. With the price of you know for the price of 10. there's oh. no point there's no time now to to say oh but that's going to be 50 percent more um you know i'm going to charge you more that will just ruin everything you know that will ruin your day so you better just try to shoot it and then you know negotiate later for what you shot but these things happen they, they just impromptu they show up with more skews more styles more this more that time is something that's important and how your crew response to that, how responsible they are for their timing. So many times I've lost so many shots because the makeup artists would just sit there uh, for an hour doing one makeup. Mm. You know, and I always, if I have more than one model, I make sure I have a hair and makeup artist that's not into one. If I have one model, okay, want to hire a hair and makeup artist who's one person. Yeah. who can do both or at least light hair because i tell you finding a good hairstylist is a lot more difficult than finding a good makeup artist there's a lot more makeup artists out there than dedicated hairstylists who all they do is hair and they're very good at it and i've you know i have one that i work with she was number number four in world championships mm -hmm. that means a lot so in LA, I know I'm working with one of the best hairstylists out there. She can do magic with her. Mm, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, which which does you know which does make a huge difference. 
so many brands, so many of these startups, they fail to realize that they say, okay, no, just have the model, you know, wear their own clothes and do their own hair and makeup. And that's just setting your the day up for something that's going to be a disaster. Or it's just going to be subpar. Or I'm going to have to sit there and, you know, later and, you know, see if I can accent the makeup and make it better or make her prettier or, or add more hair here and there. And it just never becomes what you do in camera, you know, when you try to fix it in post. So I try to fix it in camera. That's that's my motto. I don't try to cut corners and just shoot shit and say, yeah, you know, we're going to fix it in post. Yeah, there is a time for that, you know, when you want to augment something, augment a scene by making ad, by adding things, elements, graphical elements, or increasing or decreasing certain parts of the scene to make it, you know, more more focused a scenery. But just shooting bad and then trying to fix it in post. Is, is not a way of doing it. You can't put your camera on auto and say, I'm a fashion photographer or I'm even a clothing photographer. That camera will screw up everything, especially if you're shooting JPEG. Then you're toast. Forget it. I've never shot a frame of JPEG in my life. The very first digital cameras was a Fuji would shoot TIFF. I would shoot TIFF. A lot of photographers fail to realize that. They just shoot JPEG and the difference between JPEG and RAW, for those who don't know, is that RAW is a whole potato and the JPEG is just a potato chip. So when you try to bend it, it will just break. There's nothing in there for you to adjust. That, that's the short answer there. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good comparison. You're really good at coming up with metaphors that are easy to understand. So thank you for that. What about models? So you shoot with some of the best models in LA, but if someone is just starting out, even if they're just a portrait photographer, should they immediately go to an agency or is it okay to work with people who may not be very familiar with professional modeling? After working with so many and realizing that a lot of the quote-unquote agency models are non-exclusive, which means that if you find them yourself through some other platform like Model Management or Model Mayhem, the same agency model who starts for four hours at 750 minimum plus 20% agent fee, you can have for 350 because mm -hmm. she will say, oh, I like to shoot with you, David. I like your portfolio. I like the shoot. I like the crew. I like the style. I like the brand. So I'll shoot with you. They'll just, you know, cut their price in half for you. So that's one way of doing it. And... No, I haven't discovered any quote-unquote models, and I don't go to people and say, hey, you're you know, really great, and let me shoot you, because it's just a far-fetch you know, for them if you put yourself in their shoes. There's one guy once, and he's still, I have him on my phone, and I still haven't been able to place him somewhere to say, I'm going to shoot this guy you know, for this purpose. There's just one guy that I once approached, and I sent my wife, and I said, Go talk to this guy, you know, he was, he was selling coffee. He was a barista. And, get, you know, let's get his information So because he's really good-looking and handsome. And we can definitely, you know, he's model material, so we can use him for some shoot. My, model, my wife does styling. So a lot of my jobs, you know, if she has time, and she's a makeup artist, she's a national artist for Bobby Brown and um, Tom Ford Cosmetics. 
mm-hmm. uh, in Beverly Hills. And so uh, if she has time and, you know, I, I can take her on as a stylist, you know, she, she'll be there. So a lot of times, you know, we work together. That brings me to another point, you know, which is fashion photography, more than even regular photography, becomes your wife. You're married to it. It's a job that you marry to. There's no hours. You don't have a boss. It's not a nine to five. Nobody hires you as a nine to five fashion photographer. It's your business. It's your baby. It's your life. It's your passion. And forget about the wife and forget about the marriage. And, you know, don't get married. If you want to be a fashion photographer, just don't have a marriage because you won't have a successful marriage. The work takes so much time and effort out of you and so much focus that your wife will always be a second wife because your job is going to be your first wife. Just letting you know that. That's my experience. And I see that, you know, other places with other photographers, you know, throughout the years, which is something kind of unique about fashion photography. Because, you know, if if somebody's a portrait photographer, a headshot photographer, you go to a studio, you have a permanent setup, you turn on the lights, people book, you know, they come in, they sit in there and you take a headshot and they go. And then five o'clock, you close up shop and you go home and, you know, your, your life starts at home. Not the case with me, not the case with being a fashion photographer, somebody you know involved in that. And that's what I'm saying about it's just one bus and that bus is full. Trying to squeeze yourself to the top of the Google search results is going to be an impossibility. Back in 2014, I was on page 16 of Google. Mm-hmm. I'm on page one now, but that's not an easy journey. And you cannot do otherwise. You cannot be in the business but not be on page one. So it's a bus that's full. Page one is full. And you know what Google is doing these days, Taya? Have you seen? No, I haven't seen. If you if you search a lot of categories of businesses, business providers, service providers, mm-hmm. what you often see is that that page one is now instead of showing you the actual service provider they show you articles about those service providers oh okay amalgamations of the best 10 this the best 14 that the top 10 this the top 12 that articles which yeah you know on the surface you know this one article by yelp is talking about the best 10 photographers that Yelp thinks are the best because they advertise with Yelp. Otherwise, you're not going to be on that list. Mm-hmm. So the Yelp's 10 best. But Google puts that on page one. Why? Because those five articles by five high domain authority, high traffic websites that create these amalgamations of the best top 10 this and the best that those people those companies those websites will never advertise with google mm-hmm. they will never advertise to put that article on page one of google they will never do a ppc pay-per-click campaign with google but that will push five actual service provider photographers into page two 
And now what do those five photographers on page two have to do? They have to do pay-per-click advertising to advertise on page one. So you see, it's intentional. It is intentional that Google pushes down half of the actual service providers by sprinkling articles into their page one results with even a lot of times videos, you know, of their own platform mm. on YouTube. So that will push the actual providers down into page two. Now those people are forced to advertise on page one and they have to pay per, pay per click because the people who create those articles, the top 10 this and the best 20 that will never advertise those articles. You see, mm -hmm. that's what's going on. And it's even a smaller bus than you think because now there's actually five photographers when you search fashion photographer Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. There's not even 10. Well. 63% of the business goes to the top five results. So calculate the odds of you being able to make business as a fashion photographer. And an SEO expert calculated, I'm getting about $80,000 worth of free advertising pay-per-click from Google by being on page one. Mm -hmm. With the amount of traffic that I'm getting. So being on page one is paramount, it's crucial. And is everything to being a photographer. You can't say I'm a fashion photographer because I have a good camera, you know, I have good friends and I have this and that. If you want to run a business and you're going to be in it by yourself and you can't be on page one and you cannot be on page one because I'm there, <laughs> then there's four other guys there who are fighting tooth and nail. And my website is 24 years old. My domain is 24 years old. Well. If you start today and you get an XYZ domain and, uh, you know, Google will not count on you much. So I started on page 16 back in 2014 with the current iteration of my website and I'm on page one now. But that's a very uphill battle. And I don't know how else to explain it to you, but, th but that's what it is. So I'm not saying this to say, don't, but I'm just telling you what you're up against. It's very realistic. It's good to have a clear idea of your competitors, especially when you want to start a business in a specific industry. And so I appreciate your openness and your straightforwardness. And it's definitely all very intentional and intense. And I can see why you said that it's your first wife, your job. It's, uh, yeah, you have to take care of the photography side of things and also make sure that you remain at the top and then also be conscious of everything that's changing in the industry. It's a lot to juggle and you have a lot to show for it since you're on page one. It's a self-given PhD. Yes. You know, I have a doctorate in photography now mm -hmm. after 40 years. I consider myself a PhD. There's not a university in the world who could have ever taught me everything that I know. Impossible. Yeah. There's no such university to teach you the software, the hardware, the business, the SEO, the Google, the online, the marketing, the dealing with the clients, the business side of things and the onset side of things and everything else that goes with it. It's just impossible. It's, so it's it's a very it's a very tiny place at the top of the pyramid of photography 
And that little tiny space is called fashion photography. There's only few for so many people to stand there. Yeah. All right. I'm not patting myself on the shoulder, but I got into it not knowing any of this because there was no, there was no such podcast with Taya with a David Victory sitting there explaining all this stuff, you know, eight years ago to me. So I learned. <laughs> I, yeah. I might have not done it. I might have just gone some other way if I knew that that's what it takes. Wow, that's so interesting. Are there any other genres that you're interested in, just as a hobby? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, the way to answer it is that, remember I was just talking about hatred for certain things, you know, that I have to do because of money. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a love of arts and I love to shoot artistic things that I want to create, but mm -hmm. who's going to pay for it? Yeah, I, I certainly don't have the money to afford myself to shoot artistic stuff. I see so many photographers do passion projects because they have another job. They have a job who pays for their life. And then they do photography on the side so they can do whatever they want, you know, artistically. Yeah. And I don't and I can't do any of that artistic stuff. So although there's other things I love to do, I can't do them simply because I can't afford myself. I can't afford my time to be out there just shooting something for the, for the sake of art and beauty and composition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, I love to do composites, to create sceneries, but that, unfortunately, uh, we're talking about the changing of the era. One of the biggest changes in the era is not going to be, is, is now, you know, AI. So the type of artistic photography that I'm talking about is dead already. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm, I will never be able to experience it simply because AI is going to do it for you. Yeah, AI is a very controversial topic. And I've been hearing a lot about it recently. And some photographers are all for it, others not so much. Where do you think it's going in the next few years, especially when it comes to the photography world? Well, you know, it already ruined a graphic artist's life. There's no point in you going and becoming a graphic artist. You could become a graphic art director and then use AI to create whatever graphic art direction you want by just being able to type up the right prompts. And that's the part that's gonna get ironed out in the next decade, where we will have new tools and new mechanisms and new ways and new push button ways of doing it rather than typing all of these tedious prompts, tedious prompts and trying to teach the AI what you mean by typing more and more. And there are certain things that, you know, these AI computers, they just can't do. And they're learning, and they're just going to get very good at it. But it already ruined the, the work of graphic artists. So don't go to school trying to be a graphic artist. You, that job, that profession died. Even singing. Now AI is going to sing. It's going to compose music, and it's going to sing, and it's going to create voice. You can write something and, you know, a song. Just write the song, and it will sing it for you. And there's going to be AI computers and platforms who will do that. You can, in a far-fetch, imagine that because a lot of clothing now is created in CAD, computer-assisted design, and these CAD files, DXF files or whatever, are out there, you can, in a far-fetch, make them into 3D and put them on a model. 
through AI and do fashion photography that way, or at least clothing photography for e-commerce. That's a possibility that may ruin that part of my business. Mm -hmm. Shooting lifestyle, you know, lookbook with a real model, especially when it comes to video clips. A video is a big part of fashion photography now. You know, they're an adjunct, they're together. Video, that's still not going to happen in my lifetime. After I die, maybe one day we'll be able to throw a CAD file of some clothing on a 3D model and then, you know, be able to get that in a realistic manner that can sell. To shoot on white, yes, you can do that. But it's just too complicated to try to mimic two models running in a bikini on the beach. Why do that in a computer when you actually shoot that for real from 50 different angles? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why take the food and bring it through the back of your neck into your mouth? Just put it in your mouth. <laughs> Same thing with the camera. All right. Don't try to invent everything and invest so much money into hardware and software and engineers to try to do it with a computer. What is this craziness about trying to do everything with AI and with a computer? Because that will just dumb down the society. The society will lo- lose its skills. The society would, will lose so many jobs. The society will lose so many avenues of expression because now the computer is going to do it for you. What are you? What are we left with? What is the society going to do? What are our children going to do? They go to school to become AI engineers. Mm-hmm. Then uh, how's AI going to put food on the table? We're going to eat uh, AI food. <laughs> Who's going to plow the land? <laughs> you see, where are we going with this? If everything's you know going to become automated, if California passes another law and says you know we're going to give people more money to increase the minimum wage. They're destroying everybody who's in that minimum age, minimum wage category. If I made the minimum wage $50 or $100, some of these Democrats would come out and say, oh, yeah, $100. Let's give everybody $100 to flip a burger. All right. So for $25 an hour, you know, a, a company will make a flipping burger machine robot who will flip the burgers. That will put all of those burger flippers who are at, working at $10 an hour out of business. They'll go on, uh, you know, food stamp. If I make it $100 an hour, uh, Taya, what's going to happen? Everybody who has a PhD will look at that job and say, I'm going to submit my resume for that job. And when you're hiring somebody for a forced $100 an hour minimum wage, who are you going to hire? You're going to hire the PhD. You're not going to hire the guy who's a migrant or the guy who's never studied or doesn't have a resume or anything. So what will that do? That will give the $100 to the PhD people, and that will eliminate all of those people who are currently on the $10 an hour jobs from getting even $0. They'll be out of business. Yeah, yeah it's very complicated. It's, it's a crazy thing, you know, trying to fix things, you know, with AI. There, there's nothing to be fixed with AI. There was nothing broken that you want to fix with AI. It's just that manipulation and it's just some kind of you know the computer technology has increased so much now that we have softwares writing software where you don't you know your software writers are not even going to be knowing what they're doing because the software will be writing its own software Mm -hmm. you just tell it what you want you will just write the prompt and it will create the software and app for you there will be no skill as to software writing 
<laughs> it's just all going to be very polarized. You're going to have a poll at one end where you have the very top businesses and the Jeff Bezoses and the Microsoft of, of the world and the Apples of the world controlling all of this. And then you have the masses left there by just being consumers. But, but what are these consumers hardly going to stay in business if they're not going to do anything? Yeah, it's uh, very, very discouraging for a lot of people to find out about AI and how it's changing the photography industry and just the world in general. As you said, graphic design isn't as in demand anymore because AI can do that for you quickly. And photographers are noticing a big difference in their work as well because of that. But hopefully we will continue to be able to take photographs and not notice any big losses. I know it's a very naive, maybe or too optimistic um, mindset, but I'm hoping for the best. No, no, you hope, hope for the worst. It's gonna happen. One of the advantages of, of me here in LA is that a lot of brands, they ship their clothes to me and I shoot for them. They're overseas brands. They just ship to me 50 pounds of clothing. And I shoot for them here in LA because they want that California oomph and that LA look. We go with the models and we shoot on Santa Monica Boardwalk. Mm -hmm. Digitize Santa Monica Boardwalk and now, you know, with AI models, you, you know, one day all of this will be done in India or Bangladesh. Yeah, that's true. What Bangladesh and India and China cannot do is shoot lifestyle. And if one day they can with AI, that will completely put me out of business. Because the you know, the cost of me shooting that on a model compared to some AI guy in China or Bangladesh or Pakistan or you know India doing it, it will be day and night. So your cheap ass businesses are gonna go and they're just gonna go to that website and they're gonna say, Oh, here are my CAD files for my clothes that I got from Alibaba. Alibaba will just sell you those CAD files. Put them on a model, and I want the model to look like this. I want Western-looking models, and where do you want it shot? I want it shot on Rodeo Drive. Here you go. There's your shot. Pay five bucks here, put a dime in the machine, and the picture comes out, and, you know, go be happy. And that will just put a lot of photographers out of business. Same thing for anything. Architecture. All architecture has blueprints. You can take a blueprint of a business, of a building, put the business marquee on top of that building, just shoot it. All of this will happen in the next 20 years. You're going to see a lot of this from computer directly to screen. Mm -hmm. Whatever the design was, that design can be skinned and lit. And, you know, with NVIDIA chip technology can be ray traced with reflection, refraction, soft shadows, anything, you name it. It will be done from your browser. You the business owner from your browser will be able to manipulate all of this, put the camera where you want, take a click, pay for it, and be done with it. And never have to contact the photographer. You know, a lot of the genres are going to go away today. Same dustbin that graphic art just went into. That's really scary. It is. It's, it's a very scary time. The slow motion train crash has occurred already. The train is off the bridge. The locomotive has fallen. We're in the back coupes. We're in the very back cars. We haven't seen the crash, heard it, or felt it yet. It's a long train. But our time is coming. 
and it will be happening. So if someone is listening to this now and they're starting to panic because they want to pursue photography professionally, is there any way that we can prepare for this in a way to make sure that we are able to pay the bills in the coming years? I don't know. Look, we had 300 coach builders back in the late 1800s, and now we have like three car makers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from coaches to cars. How many coach builders went out of business and, you know, got ruined? And we're in a inevitable position now. And I'm one of the last photographers of the era, of the age, you know, where I experienced the analog to where we are now and now predicting the future. So make the best of it for whatever it, worth it is. But economy of scale and the volume and the, the money and uh, all of that plays into this. There will be diehards who will always hire a photographer because they're of the age of the photographer, but the newbies, you know, who are dealing with their phone, the world is in their phone, in the palm of their hand. They have no retrospect on where the phone came from or what it means or how was the world before the phone in their hand. They're just used to apps. Yeah. And they run everything through these apps and they buy everything. And like my, my daughter, you know, she's constantly ordering stuff on the app and it comes to the door. And, you know, it shows up on your email or whatever you order, you know, is, is there and it's done for you and it's delivered immediately. Just instant grat gratification. So that's that's where we are and that's what we're doing. Eventually, the, the subject of photography is going to go by the way of the subject of graphic arts. And the same way that the AI technology destroyed graphic arts, we will see that photography is going to be stomped upon and eaten away bit by bit and some computer somewhere is going to try to compete and try to mimic and try to do it uh, you know the same or even better and put that in the in the hands of the people so it is the world of taxis and uber it is the comparison between hotels and uh, airbnb so you see what's happening you see how you know it's getting shifted and polarized and it's good for the consumer but what i'm saying is that eventually nothing will be left you know for the consumer <laughs> because they'll be cornered in a position where they won't they will be out of jobs if everybody's out of a job then what good is it to be a consumer a consumer what when you when you can't have a job exactly nothing to consume anymore yeah if if you if you run this through an AI and say if if all of this input happens, what is the output in a hundred years? They you know it will say it's going to be you know famine. Nobody's going to be nobody's going to be working. Everybody's going to be on a government payroll. We'll have massive inflation. There everything will be just digitized. Who's going to plow the land? And you know what are we going to do? Who's going to do all the work? Uh, manual labor is just going to become you know full automation everywhere. You know, look at some of these stores. You, you go in there and you don't even need to deal with a, somebody at a checkout counter. Yeah, that's true. You know, un unfortunately, it's a bleak future. And we see that technology is fast going where uh, reality is and trying to compete with, with reality and be able to create hyper-realism. Computers now, I mean, these AI computers like Midjourney are now able to create people and faces that don't exist by piecing it together from mosaics of thousands of other 
images that they have learned from. So they learn from thousands of images and then they, you say, I want an Indian looking man. It will give you an Indian looking man that is not born. Yeah. You know, we've all seen that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh... Thank you for sharing your perspective on this. It's an important topic, as I said earlier, and it's definitely worth talking about. So not sure what to say about it. It's just something that should be discussed more amongst photographers. And as you said, you have to enjoy the moment, enjoy being a photographer. And I have one more question for you, David. That is, what's the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I like to get signed up with an agency. Although agencies, you know, take a lot of the money, but they also bring a lot to the table. And, you know, getting signed up with an agency is something that happens to you, not something you make happen. You can't go, you can't go knock on agency's door and say, hey, sign me up. You know, I tried that. So it, it just happens by way of them finding you. You have to be on the radar long enough and good enough and big enough and out of the noise enough for them to see you and then to sign you up. And say, hey, you know, I think David brings value and, you know, he's on the way up. And agencies sign you up when you're making money. Mm-hmm. They don't sign you up to make money. If you're a money maker, you know, some agency will say, yeah, he's making this much money. He's, he's doing this much work and his work is such and such. So I will sign him up and take 30% of his pay. But they will keep you busy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest challenge that I have is... In one person, I got to be so many people, mm-hmm. you know, marketing myself, advertising myself, dealing with the clients, doing the post-production, doing the actual photography, plotting out the future and the SEO. And, you know, so much time that goes into just keeping the website alive yeah. and ticking and kicking and, you know, keeping your place in the SEO ranks. The best thing that could happen to me at this point, you know, and I'm 60 years old, is to get signed up by an agency. I have a good 20, 25 years to go, and I want to die with a camera in my hand, and I'm never going to retire. Just out of the question, the fastest way to die is to retire. I mean, statistics show that everybody who retires, they're dead in five years. I don't know if they're retiring because they think they're going to be dead in five years or because they retired, they're dead in five years. But I'm not going to find out. I'm just not going to retire. That word is not in my dictionary. I appreciate your your persistence and your passion for photography. And it's very empowering and inspiring to meet somebody who wants to take photographs their whole life. It's so interesting. And I think hopefully it's inspiring to other photographers as well listening to this because there's no limit to it. You can start at any age and you can continue on for as long as you can continue, as long as you want to continue. There's no limit, really. And that's a very beautiful thing, especially when you work for yourself, as you said. Of course, it comes with its own challenges and you have to make sure that you stay on the first page and find the right clients and communicate with clients. Of course, I can imagine that it's all very difficult, but you ultimately love what you do and it's very inspiring to see. And I want to thank you for sharing your passion for photography and for being very straightforward and honest. It was very eye-opening, this conversation. And I truly hope that an agency reaches out to you and offers to work with you because you've contributed so much to the industry. And I truly believe that you deserve to work with a really, really good agency. Absolutely. And to sum it up, find what you love doing and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Exactly.
very, very true. Well, thank you so much for your time, David. I really appreciate it. And I really look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Same time. I I'm, I'm look forward to doing more podcasts with you. This has been wonderful. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode with David Victory. Thank you very much for listening. I learned a lot from this episode and it was interesting to listen to a completely different perspective than the one I'm used to. And I learned a lot about fashion photography and I think it's a very interesting genre with a lot of potential. If you have any questions for David or if you want to share your thoughts on these episodes, make sure to join our online photography community. There's a link to it in the description. See you next week. Our photography community wouldn't be what it is without its amazing members. We're working on many exciting projects and have lots of great perks waiting to be discovered by you. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive all kinds of perks. If you join as an extraordinary member, you'll get an ad-free experience, access to every subforum, access to our 52-week project, the ability to connect with all of our members, and more. As a Limitless member, you'll get all of the perks that I just mentioned and access to all of our premium courses and Lightroom presets. This is the perfect opportunity for anybody who wants to elevate their skills without paying thousands of dollars for courses. We're sure that you'll love being a part of our community if you're a fan of this podcast. In addition to meeting new people, you'll learn something new about photography every day which will help you improve quickly. It's also much more fun to take photographs when you have a group of amazing photographers supporting you. Go to photographycourse.net to find out more and to get 50% off your first year as a member. We can't wait to see you in our community. And again, just as a reminder, go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD. We can't wait to see you there. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.